Welcome to another Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get to a great interview with Joel Gregg of Oryx, quick shout out to our sponsor, Brex. Brex is a virtual credit card for startups. They also give you physical credit cards if you want that. But I love the virtual aspect of it. It's really easy to provision, give new employees. It's great with monitoring their spend. There's no personal guarantee from the founder. That is humongous. That's probably the single biggest reason to use Brex. You don't have to have your own personal livelihood on the line in case something happens with your company. There's no personal guarantee. And they also have some great integrations with QuickBooks and they have good rewards. They're startup centric rewards like ride sharing and travel and food delivery stuff. So check out Brex. And if you go through the signup sheet, uh, just put in cruise and you get, I think you get a special offer. I'm not sure if it's free uh, cards or discount, but you get something. So it's worth doing. So check out Brex and onto the podcast with Joel. Thanks. Welcome to Founders of Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting, and my very special guest today is Joel Gregg of Oryx. Welcome, Joel. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we've been, we've been friends for a long time, probably like 10 years, right? For, for a while. I think yeah. we've even had some of the same college friends. We do, we, we do. Can, we can skip that. I was today. just out to lunch with Glenn Evans, actually. <laughs> do, you, do, do you remember Glenn? I, I, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just out to lunch with him. So Joel is a friend. He is... I don't know what your exact title is, but you're a partner or managing, managing director. Managing director at Orcs. At, at Orcs. Orcs. Yeah. Yep. So maybe you just start by retracing your career and yep. explaining Orcs and some of the basics of venture debt. That's, that's a lot. Retrace the career first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll take it bite, bite-sized chunks. So, so yeah, again, Joel Gregg, Orcs Growth Capital. Um, so I started doing this, you know, probably around the same time as Scott did, 17, 18 years ago. Started on the traditional commercial banking side. Started out at Wells Fargo. Um, was part of their analyst training class here in San Francisco. It was a, it was great. It was kind of like a six month, not a lot of banks do it anymore, but it was like a six month MBA in, in banking where all the analysts from around the country lived together here, basically got our MBA in, in banking, learned awesome. credit. Yeah, it was great. And, and when I came out, I, I certainly wasn't doing tech lending. I, I think my first customer call was it was a ski resort, which was uh, which was an interesting nice. business. That's not bad. They not, not got bad. The, you probably not, got to experience that a little bit. Not bad. I, I, I got to wear the uh, San Francisco you know gear, the the vest, seventeen years ago. So maybe I was the the, the trendsetter. Uh, but no, started commercial banking. You know, ski resorts, Jamba Juice franchisees, wheel manufacturers, and. And, and everything you know in in between, and and moved with Wells Fargo to Palo Alto area in the mid two thousands, and got more exposure to technology. Um, and about ten years ago, moved to uh, San Diego to go get my my MBA in, in, in entrepreneurship. And and yes, you know, for everyone listening, the the rumor is true. San Diego is not a bad place to live. So that was a great great spot. Went down, got my MBA, and, and it was there where I was the first non-partner hired at a, a small meds fund called Huntington Capital. Yep. So being the first non-partner, you 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 know, you're quasi CFO one day, your analyst one day, your board observer one day. I mean, it's just overall overall great experience. And and when you're with a small meds fund, it's not like traditional buyout meds fund where you're adding a couple turns of leverage onto a onto a big buyout. You're really, it was an $80 million fund that we raised kind of right at the, you know, thick of the financial crisis in 2008. You're doing everything. We did $500,000 common stock, you know, early Series A equity checks to traditional looking meds and, and everything in between. But it was then where I got even more 
technology exposure yeah. through some of those equity investments through some of those early stage software companies and that's where I touch tech even even more especially yeah. down you know the the, the rung of the, of the pyramid well um, you guys I remember talking that's kind yeah. of, I met you after you well, right, right when, the, I, yeah. when I moved back up yeah, yeah. and yeah. you guys were doing like so much creative stuff and you were doing like you kind of went from one opposite to the other like yeah, super tra- traditional tra- traditional banking middle market banking yeah. in a box to you know you have a, a small 80 you know 80 million dollar fund and again remember it was kind of in in the crisis and and like i said i mean every everything from direct equity to traditional meds and and, it, and everything in between yeah but but again great you know great experience great team and and we had our uh i know you're a a, a recent father congratulations thank you um, been our first uh first kid when we were down in san diego and we made the choice to to move back up to northern california where where I'm from and, and the, the networks from and and spend more time and completely focus on the on the technology yeah. segment yeah. again throughout the call it first ten years had touched technology but it was really you know six seven years ago where it made the shift and when we moved back up here yeah. solely focus on tech and so right before Oryx I was leading the uh, the tech banking team here in San Francisco for for Bridge Bank oh I didn't know that okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I was working with some yeah. folks Letterman in, yeah, OL, yeah, yeah. Mike Letterman and, and team there and still work still work closely with with them and then three and a half years ago met met the group leader at, at oryx jeff bd and, and oryx had a you know good long long name in in, in the venture debt industry yeah. and, and they had some holes here on, on the west coast and, and needed a senior guy here in the bay area so so i joined and and helped build up the team here and have been leading the efforts that's awesome ever since yeah so. yeah you've had a good you had a good run and oryx is you said they've been you been around for a very long time like yep. and there what's what's org's capital base it's like is it traditional commercial thing or is it yeah you know without getting into to the weeds so oryx oryx is a global oryx corp is actually a publicly traded oh, glo- global finance company so we manage plus or minus 100 billion in assets oh across, across okay. the globe so we're a big finance company but but unlike you know wells fargo here my, my earlier experience where we're a we were a big organization, but a more regulated bank entity. Yeah. We are, in a sense, investing you know balance sheet capital for a non-regulated, regulated in different ways, but a non-regulated you know non-bank entity here. And and so there's there's a number of different groups within Oryx that operate here in the U.S. Yeah. Through Oryx USA, Growth Capital, which is where I sit, is is one of those. And, and to your point, we've put out. We've been doing it 16, 17 years. We've you know put out probably close to you know two billion, near and two wow. billion in capital, yeah. and um, over 150 deals throughout yeah. that time. So, you know the uh, the capital base is important. The well, longevity in the markets yeah. is important. Well, also I asked that question because I because you actually touched on it really well, where you said like we're a large financial institution, but we're not regulated in the same way that like Wells Fargo is regulated. And the, the reason why that's important is because like big, large banks like Wells Fargo have a hard time doing tech lending because the regulators don't understand it and it doesn't look like traditional commercial debt. And so maybe talk about like that allows you guys to do more interesting types of deals, more flexible types of deals. Yeah. And, and you know, normally it's the same for whether you're talking about bank debt, even venture or growth equity normally it's a a, it's a compliment yeah right and so a bank the banks that we know very well i mentioned one bridge bank silicon valley bank who obviously has a a huge footprint in the market uh square one bank there's a number of commercial banks that that focus solely on this tech ecosystem that you and i are are very involved 
and, and do a great job, right? Yeah. And they've continued to you know evolve their own platforms and increase their check sizes and, and build market share. But but as a whole, the tech market, tech ecosystem, as you know, on the lending side, has expanded, right? So you have the banks; they've done a good job, but they also serve a, a niche, right? And so you know they may provide a a venture loan, they may provide a working capital facility or a recurring revenue facility, yep. but there's only so much risk that they're gonna be able to take. Yeah. And, and so where we come in is we're not displacing equity. If a company needs $40 million to, to scale their business, you know, they probably shouldn't be done all in debt. That's a really good, let's come back to that, at, keep going. Yeah, at, that's a great point. At the early stage and, 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 vi- and vice versa, you know, most companies aren't going to, depending upon their trajectory, growth, this, that, you know, there may be a gap in terms of where, where the bank plays. And, and so, again, it's the difference between wearing an enterprise value lending hat, which is squarely where we sit, versus, you know, the banks being able to do some enterprise value lending, but there's always a stopping point in terms of the amount of yeah. risk that they're able to take. I want to come back to the enterprise uh, value lending too, but so not displacing equity real fast. Right. I've had this experience many times in my career where maybe a company needs like $10 million in cash to hit the next set of milestones. Right. Yep. And they'll say like, well, I'll raise like six in equity and four in debt. And I, th- I think what I hear you saying is, no, that's not the right mix. Maybe you can tell the audience what the, what the right mix should be or how to how the company should think about that a little bit. And, you know, the, the answer would vary depending upon stage and, and, and company life cycle. Yep. Right. And so when you think about the origins of, of venture debt, which, you know, your your prior firm, Lighthouse. Was, Done it for was, nine years. Yeah. What, 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 in your firm, it was yeah. one of the pioneers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of the early venture debt, whether it's bank or the non, non-bank lenders, like, like where you sat, a lot of the underwriting was more about the investors, right? Hence venture loan. It was more about the investors and the investor syndicate and them willing to support this earlier stage company, right? And, and if you rewind 10 years ago, the debt levels on those growth stage businesses were, were less than they are today. Oh, interesting. Right? I didn't know that. Yeah. T- 10 years ago, you know, you sat across from a lot of CFOs and you had to really explain why and how debt fit into the, into yeah. the, into the capital stack. Right? Yeah. Today, you know, when you, when, you, when you look at the ecosystem and, and you know, where, where debt plays a role, and especially where we play at that, at that growth stage, yeah. I think it's become more common practice and recognized that growth debt, venture debt, growth debt, however you want to you know, slice that, that cutoff, is a more accepted piece of, of the overall capital sure. stack. And, and, and it's so, because the companies are more established, right? There's like real, coming back to that enterprise value comment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I was going to round that out with in terms of kind of what's, what's that right mix, right? There, there's lots of rules of thumbs today, today out, out in the market on... Well, if you're a recurring revenue business, it is, is one times debt to ARR the, the right number? It's the right number for some companies. Yeah. What's your growth rate? What's your margins? What's your yeah. retention? So it's not a one size fits all. But, but, I, but I would say overall, when you look at the landscape, there's more mature businesses. They have different business models than 10 years ago, yeah. right? More, recur- more predictability. More predictability, more subscription base, more yeah. recurring, you know, bigger maintenance streams, tech enabled with repeatable customer yeah. bases. And so it's a more accepted piece of the capital stack. And as you move to the right, whether that's 10 million in revenues, 15 million in revenues, all the way to, to, to pre-IPO, 
you're able to look and say, hey, this is a predictable business. It's doing 20, 30 million in sales. Yeah. It has this sort of retention metrics. Yep. Both the company and you as a lender are able to add in more, more leverage in terms yeah. of that overall capitalization. So maybe rather than going and raising a $50 million equity round, it, it might be you know, 30 million in equity and, and 20 million in debt. Yeah. And you know, just pair those ratios back if you're talking about a series A, series yeah. B, earlier stage company. But yeah. I'd say in general, yeah, you probably want a little less leverage when you're talking that true venture-ish venture loan, you're taking venture risk. Yeah. But as you kind of move up the scale, you know, I tell people probably 70, 80% of my job, I'm wearing the similar hat as a growth equity investor would. Totally. Totally. In terms of what metrics I'm looking at, what I competitive mode and customer base, but I'm a debt lender. Yeah. And, And so my ultimate decision, I may be comfortable saying yes to a particular company, particular deal that one of my growth equity friends might not because they might not see a path to 3x, for me, I may say that, hey, that's a great debt deal. Yeah. And so it, so it works. It works for us and it works for, for the company to say, you know, I'll take that capital and maybe that gets me to that next, that transition from, you know, legacy to that SaaS transition and that $10 million that we do or whatever capital that we yeah. provide yeah. gets them to that milestone. I think you made, like, that was, first of all, that was really good. So we should cut that segment yeah. and put it on the website. The the predictability, increased predictability has made lending so much easier. Not easier necessarily, but like you're more, will, more yeah. willing to do it yeah. in bigger dollar amounts. And I think there's something maybe you could talk, you, you talked about this a little bit, but Talk about that education of the venture capitalists and of the board members to understanding debt. Like, how have you done that? How has the industry done that? Because I think that's another part of this is they're willing to take on a little bit more debt than they would have been 10 years ago because they understand it better. Again, just rewind 10, 15 years ago. If you were to look at the top five most valuable companies in the world 10, 15 years ago, I don't know. It was probably GE, ExxonMobil, and... And you know, handful yeah. of others, maybe, yeah. maybe Microsoft, industrial companies, the industrial companies, yeah. you know, blue chip, blue chip companies. You, you look today, and again, this is going to tie into that enterprise value lending comment. You know, you and I know, and, and everybody who's listening to this you know podcast knows that a twenty million dollar ARR business with those good metrics that we talked about, that's growing 50 percent. There's inherent value in that maybe, huge, huge amount of value maybe, yeah. maybe it's not you know 10x comp that that the highest flyer in the segment you know but but if it's a 20 million dollar AR business with good retention with good margins that that could most most aren't but that could turn the dial and get profitable if they want wanted to and slow that growth rate there, there's there's a lot of enter, enterprise value there and, yeah. and so I think just you know I kind of started from the top looking at the, the the public markets but if you even look at the public landscape today and look at Salesforce and Amazon and Workday and Facebook who are the most valuable companies out there in the market yep. today it's technology companies it's there's not a direct correlation and you could argue the public versus private premium but when in that in this private space that we play I think everybody recognizes that these sort of businesses, these sort of model has value that goes beyond just cash flow. Yeah. And, and you know, that's as lenders, that's how we've gotten more comfortable around the table. People ask me, you know, how many times do you have to really have that debt conversation? Again, 10 years ago, maybe it was half the time. Today, it's maybe 2% of the time. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's more of just what is the flavor? Yeah. 
am I going to look to the left and get enough of what I need from the bank or do I want to go one step further and bring in a, another partner like yeah. Oryx or, yeah. or others yeah. to, to give me a little bit more leverage. Yeah. So it's less, do I need it in there? It, it's more of what's the right balance and, and what's the right yeah. time. That's so cool. And it's, it's so nice for you. I remember like when I joined Lighthouse in 2002, we were in that terrible recession. Oh, yeah. Or no, it wasn't, yeah, 2002. And like most VCs had taken any venture debt they didn't really understand it at all. So every conversation was super painful. And then they kind of got educated. Then the 08, 2009, 2010 recession, they were fairly kind of conversant, but still some some holes. And it sounds like now the the equity world really understands what you're trying to do. And and I think that's really healthy because then everyone's interests are aligned. There's no miscommunication. Yeah. They don't ask you for too much debt. Or maybe Sometimes. they still maybe they still do. Yeah. yeah, again, depending on stage stage of company, I, I would say the the levels of debt probably at that earlier stage hasn't moved. You know, the aperture hasn't opened as much yeah. as is is in the in the growth stage. Yeah, but it's it's the same as same conversation on the equity side. You yeah. and I ten years ago, oh. a, a a big growth round was a you know thirty million dollar check and now that's a series B I, I series know. B to, I know. to today. So so we yeah have, you we know. have companies getting preempted with like fifty million dollar checks when they're really like just basically a series A company. Right. Or, right. You know, what right. used to be a series A company. So it's it, it's nuts. Yeah and again going back to the conversation we just had is in terms of not displacing equity, there's this it's not typically an either or like like I said, because if a company is gonna spend you know, on sales and marketing and product development, and they're going to burn 15, 20 million for the next, you know, two, three years as they're scaling, that probably shouldn't all be solved with, with debt, Definitely. right? That's what I was kind of fishing for in that I always, I tell our clients and our clients are earlier stage, earlier so they're, stage they're yeah. C series A, series B, yeah. some series C, but so it's really the series A, series B ones that we're having this conversation with. I always tell them to like, raise as much equity as they need to hit the milestone and then take debt as like kind of the incremental the runway extension, the yeah. cushion. Yeah. yeah. And that's, to me, that's like the smartest cause you still are getting the benefit of the less dilutive, not as expensive debt, but you're not um, potentially shortcutting yourself and putting yourself in a bad position a year from now. Yeah. No, that's a good way to look at yeah. it is, is the earlier stage. It's, I would say a little more of that, runway extension definitely to that next round and then again as you as you move to the right you could almost look at it as as growth capital cushion and yeah. cash is a little fungible some yeah. of its equity some of its you know yeah. what your your billings and bookings as those become more meaningful are you you know collecting annual up front and you have a, a big deferred revenue you know growth but it's you know that it, it's it's a piece of that overall growth capital cushion yeah. i think it's really smart it's, that's awesome yeah. So we've covered Oryx, we've covered your background. What are some of the, like the, the differences? I guess we covered the bank stuff a little bit, but at, at your stage, the later growth capital stage, where, where are you seeing the differences? Like are the banks between you guys and Oryx, is it, or excuse me, between you and the banks, like do the banks cap out a certain dollar amount and they bring you into the deal? Or is it just, it's an either or, like they pick you over the bank or how, do, how does that, because you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're operating at a, in a zone that I rarely operated in at Lighthouse, which is the later stage, big, big, huge checks. Like how does this all play out? Yeah. I mean, it's not always big, huge checks. I mean, we, 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 Oryx Growth Capital would go down to, to, to 5 million, you know, on the, on the lower end yeah. to a 10, $15 million revenue company that has a good growth trajectory. 
um, all the way up to, to pre-IPO financing. So yeah, the, 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 the spectrum ranges. Um, on the bank side, like I said, I mean, the, the names that we know that play in the ecosystem, they've, they've, they've done a, a great job, right? I mean, the, the banks have that natural funnel. Every company needs a bank, right? Not every company needs a non-bank venture lender. You know, you've lived that, right? Totally. So the banks have this natural funnel within within the ecosystem where they see everything. You know, their check sizes ha- have increased in terms of where we play, I would say, a majority of the time we are partnering where because because of the stage that we're coming in whether it's 20 million in revenue 30 million in revenue that company's already gone through that series a series yeah. b series c financing and to our earlier discussion they've already started to layer in some of that bank yeah. debt financing and you know we get calls from the banks often saying hey it's we love this company we're just you know we're, we're tapped out at 10 million for this particular yeah. profile are you guys interested in doing, you know, 10 behind us, 15 behind us. Pick, I always love that phone call because it made your life a lot easier because hey. like they, they're kind of sourcing deals for you in a way, you know, you have to be a good partner and you have to have a long track record with them for them to want to make that call. But it's, yeah, it's great. Like they, they do have a lot of feet on the street and they see all these companies. They, they see it all. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they see it all. And, and it's great. I mean, whether that's, whether that's coming from a bank or whether it's coming from a, a investor, a VC, private equity, you know, growth equity player, it's always great to get those direct calls because yeah. you've, you've probably worked with them. It's a partnership approach in terms yeah. of building that capital base. So. Yeah. And when you work with a bank, maybe walk people through um, what kind of documentation you need with the bank, like a subordination agreement or how that works. Because I remember that was sometimes it was easy, sometimes it was hard. Like how do, you, how do people, mostly the, like our startup clients, how do they need to think about that? Yeah. You're showing your age because, uh, because it's gotten easier. Has it gotten easier? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, I mean, just if you go back to the conversation, and I keep reverting back, but if you, if you think back 10 plus years ago, the, the, the total overall debt in these businesses was less. And, and if a company's only taken on $5 million in debt, it's probably not as attractive to parse it up, right? Two and a half to the bank, two and a half yeah, to, yeah, to, to too a much, Too much, it, it, yeah. too many hoops to jump through, too many, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many players, right? But you know, as, as, the, as the numbers have gotten bigger in the businesses, there's a broader set of, of businesses that, that fit that profile that we talked about. There, there just is inherently a bigger pool of companies mm-hmm. that, again, have taken some some bank debt uh, along the way, and and as you know, maybe the banks exceed their comfort level, and that gets back into that how much enterprise level risk they're yeah. able to take. Yeah. Right. They'll do a venture loan. They'll do an MRR based facility. Maybe they'll have some sort of growth capital facility in there, but it's it's you know rarely going to be skewed towards. 100% towards what we do, which yeah. which is more enterprise value yeah. lending, yeah. right? So in terms of working together, yeah, I mean, and that's where, you know, you ask kind of what's, or will ask, you know, what what's important in terms of terms to think about. And, and that's where, you know, Oryx having done, like I said, over 150 deals or, or a number of the other lenders in the space who have a long track record, we've, we've all worked together, yeah. right? We've all worked yeah. with SVB and Bridge Bank and Square One and so I'd say a lot of that intercreditor and subordination agreement and, and those sort of dynamics have been well tested awesome. and, and well played out. So, so similar to the conversation I said earlier in terms of, you know, maybe 2% of the time, five, less than 5% of the time I have to have the conversation in terms of why debt. It's a similar conversation when you're working with, you know, banks these days or even the companies and the borrowers. 
to, to explain to them, hey, we have a lot of at-bats, we have a lot of reps in terms of working with who you're already working with. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's... that's and it sounds like you have, like, a templates intercredit agreement, template subordination agreement that's already kind of negotiated. Yeah, basically. yeah. And, you know, in most most lenders in this space, at, at this stage, if they have any sort of, you know, volume, have, have worked with all the names that we just yeah, talked about yeah. and have enough reps in it. That's, that's, so. that's huge. Because yeah. it used to be... It's not, a big, it's not a big barrier. It's not a big yeah. barrier anymore. You know? It used to just be, like, some brain damage. And the companies would get kind of nervous. So, that's I mean, it's great that the industry kind of figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. I think the industry's evolved from, yeah. from that standpoint. Yeah. Cool. What are, and we've got a few more minutes here, what what are some terms that you see that are important or that might confuse entrepreneurs or, you know, maybe Mac or Investor Abandonment yeah. or what What do you kind of educate the, the borrowers on? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll answer this two ways and I'll maybe start where, you know, Cruz is, is more active and, and where you spend more time because when you, when you go back to that early stage venture lending, Again, that bucket that, you know, right or wrong is a little more skewed or oriented towards the investor syndicate. Mm-hmm. If you're a $2 million revenue business, if you're a you know, pre-revenue business, it really is. You know, it's part of bet. It's a bet on the management team. It's a bet on the traction you have. But a big chunk, this, this leg of the stool that I didn't learn at, you know, Wells Fargo Banking, you know, when I did Credit 101, it was you lend to a company that has cash flow and collateral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. do most of your businesses, you know, not have? You know, any, cash any, flow. Yeah. Their, their collateral walks in and out of the door every day. Yeah, You know, yeah. people. And so, yeah. so I would say, you know, things to be cautious of or, or terms. At that early stage, you, you want the most flexibility, you know, whether that's no covenants, whether that's no, no MAC where a lender could you know, call a material adverse, you know, change and, and pull the loan, which again is rare. And going back to the, the folks who play in this ecosystem, the, the, that actually happening is across the board it is, is very rare. But I'd say at the earlier stage, your business is less predictable. You know, a lot of folks have, I'm going from 2 million in revenue to, to 10 yeah. in their business plan. Yep. Hey, two to four might work out great, right? <laughs> so you don't want to put a covenant at, at, at six million dollars. You know when you're, you know, six million dollars in revenue when you're at that stage. So there's a trade-off. You want to, in that stage, I'd say you want the most flexibility. You want to pull out as many of those terms, whether it be covenants or max, as possible. But you're going to pay up. Yep. So in that segment, segment of the market, you see both higher interest rates and you know larger warrant, higher warrant coverage. Yeah. So that, the trade-off getting there, there's those. a trade-off yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're yeah. paying up to get that flexibility yeah, right yeah you know it's kind of interesting to think about but folks on the where we play are willing to as their business becomes more predictable you know 40 million in recurring revenue yeah. going to you know 60 and maybe you set a covenant at 50 yeah right that's still what is that, plenty of room. Yeah. 20 25 percent growth even yeah. though the bar may be you know projecting 50 percent growth right as their businesses become more predictable there's a trade-off where they might be okay saying hey we're never going to operate the business with less than five million in cash or we're never going to drop below this recurring revenue level great there's a little bit of structure and and, and as a trade-off of that structure I'm likely going to be priced lower across the board than this earlier stage where you're taking more venture-ish risk. For sure. And they're borrowing more money, so those price differences really matter. And the price, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it starts to, you start laying in 30, 40, 50 million in in debt on some of these late late stage companies. It's, 
it's, it's mater- a big interest payment. It, it, it's material. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it. This has been this has been really good. I'm so glad you came by. Maybe you can kind of just tell everyone how to find you and and how to look up orcs and and maybe your sweet spot on the deal deal flow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to finally be invited to to. You're always invited. Scott's, You're always invited. Scott's pod podcast. Yeah. So so again, orcs orcs growth capital. Um, my email address joel at at orcs.com. I'm a managing director here, located in in the Bay Area, so I cover a. Uh, a large chunk of, of the west you know west coast with, with the rest of the team here but but yeah you know we play we play in the growth stage but but I, it, hopefully as everyone listening has heard it's a very it really is i know it sounds kumbaya but a partner-based ecosystem as as you know and so probably more than half the calls that i that i get it might not be a fit for us I'm referring it to other potential partners on the non-bank side, on That's the awesome. bank side, or, yeah. or vice versa. If it's too large of a check for us, yeah. you know, we're referring out. So it's always worth having a call, whether you're early, you think you're too early stage or, or late stage, because you know this is it's a big big ecosystem, but it's a small ecosystem in terms of number of players. Yeah, and so there's a lot of communication there's a lot of partnerships everybody so. definitely knows everybody everybody know, everybody yeah. knows each yeah. other so uh, well on that note I've known Joel for a very long time you're awesome to work with you're a great guy and I recommend everyone give you a call so check out Joel at Orcs and uh, thank you man thanks for coming by yeah great thanks cool. thanks for listening to that podcast with Joel Gregg at Orcs I love doing the venture debt stuff because it's so inside baseball and uh, hopefully you as audience are getting a lot out of that and before we sign off, quick shout out to our sponsor, Brex, B-R-E-X.com. Check it out. Credit cards for startups, no personal guarantee. They make it super easy to set up. It's easy to integrate into QuickBooks. Nice little management console. And I think I always talk about this, but there's the fact that there's no personal guarantee for founders is a really big deal. The last thing you want is to have your own personal financial livelihood on the line even more. As a founder, you're always on the line and you probably put everything you have in your company. But you don't want to get an ugly surprise if something doesn't work out. So Brex does not require a personal guarantee. Hope that helps. Check out Brex. Type in Cruise when you go through the, uh, the sign-up sheet and you get a discount. And we'll see you next week at Founders and Friends Podcast. Thanks.